children, you'll find your words in the normal place in the bulletin. You'll see those words as prayer and pray, persistence, God, compassion, justice, and faith. And I want to begin with a couple of questions or a couple of groups of questions. The first group of questions are for our teenagers and adults. I want to ask, how many of you have ever called customer service at a particular company and been told um, that you are in queue and that your call will be answered or a representative will be with you uh, shortly, only to find out that your definition of shortly and their definition of shortly are very different. How many of you have ever tried to accomplish something via chat at that same customer service uh, department in that same uh, company, and you you're told as you sign on that you're in queue again and your wait will be about three minutes or six minutes or maybe even 15 minutes. And you sit, right, and watch the time click off and then it gets to that one minute and it freezes and it just remains there and, and you can't even come to you. You don't even want to look to see how long you've actually waited. And how many of you have grown tired of waiting and simply hung up because you never received the, the assistance you wanted? Now children, these questions are for you. How many of you have ever gone to your parents and sought something from them. You've gone to them and you've asked them for something you really, really wanted. You go to them and you may have simply wanted their attention. You may have wanted a snack. You may have wanted to watch a video or something on television. Or maybe you wanted to go outside or you wanted to go over to a friend's house. Or if you're here, you wanted to go to the gym. And you've asked, and, and over a, a period of time, you've had to wait because they're preoccupied. They may have been on the phone if they're at home, or they may hear they may be talking to someone else. Or they've got other things that they're doing, and they've kept telling you, just wait. Or they've actually said no. But you wouldn't take no for an answer. So you kept asking them over and over and over and over again. And it moves from being verbal to actually pulling on their shirt or on their pants or gripping their leg, hoping that they will listen to what it is you want. And and some of you, and I know very few of you, but some of you have probably even resorted to throwing a fit, laying in the floor, whining hoping that they'd give in. Now, you're probably wondering, what do those things have in common? What do those those questions, those groups of questions have to do with anything, particularly here in Luke 18? And I want to tell you that it has 
everything to do with it. it. It has quite a bit to do with it. You see, chances are pretty good that all of us at some point and some time in our Christian lives have felt as though that we've, as we've prayed, that God has placed us in queue. And we've waited. We've waited for an answer, and it seems like we've gone for various amounts of time only to hear nothing. And our response is that we eventually just give up, and we stop praying. But our passage tonight tells us that rather than give up, we need to be like children who ask, over and over and over again. We aren't to throw fits. We're not to make deals. But we are to be persistent and relentless as we pray. Our passage tonight, I've broken down into four parts. I want us to see the call to pray I want us to see the conviction of the one who prays, I want us to see the character of God, and then the context of prayer. And in the end, I want us to see that we ought always to pray. Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we begin. Father, by your Spirit, would you grant power to the preaching of your word this evening? And would you give us all ears to hear and eyes to see. Give us the ability to apprehend and and appraise the truth of Your Word. May the Gospel grip us. Would You awaken our attention and convict us and challenge us and then please refresh us and encourage us and comfort us. As always, I'm weak and needy to this task to which You've called me and so I ask for You to grant me grace Support me, give me strength, fill me with your spirit that I might do something good for you this evening. Speak now through what you have already spoken in Jesus' name, amen. Well, there are a couple of items I want us to see about this passage as we begin. Um, First, I want us to see that this parable that we're about to look through um, is only in Luke's gospel. And I believe that's because Luke's objective, if you've been with us for any length of time, you know that Luke's objective has been to encourage Theophilus, as well as the rest of us, in the midst of our fears, in the midst of our anxieties, in the midst of our doubt, you know, in our struggle in the day-to-day with our faith. And second, it's a parable in which the purpose or the meaning is presented succinctly and clearly right at the beginning. It's not like the past parables that have left us wondering or, at least in the beginning, left us wondering or confused. Uh, It's not a parable like others that was meant to conceal the truth. It's meant to present the truth. It's meant to present the reality. And it does so at the very beginning. Luke is very clear of what the purpose is. And he says in 
verse 1, that the whole purpose of this parable, these seven verses and the story that Jesus is telling and teaching is so that we might be reminded and encouraged and even challenged to pray. That's His goal for those at the time and that's the goal for us today. In other words, it is a call to prayer. It's a call to pray. Shorter Catechism, question 98, tells us this. It says, prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God for things agreeable to His will, in the name of Christ, with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of His mercies. Section 21.3 of the Confession says it's required of all men, and it also says that it's, be, it's to be done with perseverance. And then larger catechism, question 185, puts it this way, when we pray, we're to pray with an awful apprehension of the majesty of God, a deep sense of our own unworthiness and necessities and sins. It's to be done with penitent, thankful, and enlarged hearts, with understanding, faith, sincerity, fervency, love, and then it says this, and perseverance, waiting upon Him with humble submission to His will. And it's that last line of the larger that Luke says is the focus of this parable. Right? It's a call to pray, but it's not a call to pray every once in a while. It's a call to pray continually. Not without stopping, but consistently, in the same way, over time. It's a call to pray that makes, makes sure that when we stop praying that we pick up and begin praying again as we did before. It's a call to pray on all occasions, at all times, in all, all circumstances, no matter where we might find ourselves throughout the course of a day. And it's a call, to, again, to pray persistently, to persevere and to continue to pray in spite of what those circumstances might bring our way, despite the difficulties we might encounter, despite the challenges that come our way. It's a call to not give up. It's a call not to lose heart. It's a call not to become discouraged, which if we admit it, is easy to do. Is it not? If we're honest... It's probably the number one reason we struggle to pray. Yes, we all struggle. We all struggle at staying awake. We all struggle at times at being too busy. We all struggle at times with being lazy and lacking discipline. We all struggle at times of the unfortunate indifference to the needs of others. We all struggle at times over having an overinflated sense of self and self-righteousness and self-reliance. And if we're honest, we all, we all deal with at times just being rebellious and refusing to pray. But I think we all probably struggle most in most times with our lack of faith in God's promises. And with our discouragement that typically arises when our prayers aren't answered 
in the way that we want them to be. We've all had those things that we've wanted and desired, and we've prayed a lot about those things. We've prayed time and time again, only time and time again, we never received them. And eventually, over time, when our prayers go repeatedly unanswered, we begin to think that, again, we've been put in queue and forgotten. And we throw up our hands. We say, what's the use? Or even worse, we begin to doubt the existence of God. He must, he must not exist altogether. If only we would just go back to doubting His love and care and concern, but no, we, we doubt Him and His existence altogether. And Jesus speaks right into the reality of that feebleness, that feebleness physically and spiritually. He says, don't, don't do it, don't give up. Don't give up, don't be discouraged, don't grow weary. You always ought to pray. And he does so by telling a story. He says, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. And for a while, he refused. There are two characters in this story. One is a self-aware judge. And this self-aware judge was unjust, which meant he ruled capriciously and arbitrarily and in a way that only served himself. And he did what he wanted with whom he wanted and usually at a price. If it was high enough, he might. He was unrighteous and cruel and he knew it. And it didn't bother him. He didn't he wasn't bothered and didn't care that he was that way. And, and even if others felt that way, he didn't care either. He didn't fear God. He could care less what God thought. He didn't fear man. He could care less what man thought. And that actually made him a very, very dangerous person. The other character is a widow. And the choice of a widow is purposeful. It's not the first time we've seen a widow. Her marital status doesn't tell us anything about her age, but it does tell us that she was alone and vulnerable and in need. And though there were provisions in the law to take care of her, from anyone that might oppress her, there weren't 401ks, uh, there weren't... Um, insurance policies, and there were no social programs for her to fall back on. And it was the law that brought her to this judge. She comes to the judge looking for him to take care of this one, this adversary, this foe who was taking advantage of her. And she's seeking this justice, this justice that she not only wanted but deserved, again, in the eyes of the law. 
She was looking for protection from this unjust treatment from this individual. And the law guaranteed it, and the judge was supposed to to deliver. But he doesn't. He has refused to listen. He's refused to give her this justice that she deserves and is entitled to. And he immediately throws her case out over and over again. Dismisses her. And he's probably, if we think about it, based on the description of who he is, he probably did it in a harsh way and was probably very sarcastic as he did so. But she doesn't lose heart. She doesn't give up. She doubled down on her conviction. She grew more and more persistent with each rejection. I was thinking about her this week, and I imagined her showing up in the front yard so that he would see her and hear her as he went to work. I imagined her sitting in the courtroom, even when it wasn't her case, right right in the line of sight of the judge, so that every time he looked up, there she was. I envisioned her at the same cafe during his lunch break. Or sitting on the bench as he would take his afternoon jog. Being in the produce section of the market as he's shopping on Saturday. And then being at the house again when he gets home. Every time his back was turned, he heard heard her voice. Every time he turned around, she was there. Over and over And over again, she's stalking him, right? She's belligerently stalking him. She was persistently relentless. And so Jesus goes on with the story. But afterward, he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. Her perseverance paid off. She wore him down. He felt as though that she had been beating him up emotionally. The word actually talks about being punched and given a black eye. So he gave in. He just, he just wanted, her, wanted her to stop. So he gives in and gives her the justice that she asks for. Not that he believes she needs, right? He's not doing it to do the right thing. He's just getting her off his back. And brothers and sisters, Jesus' point is that this is the picture of the conviction of the one who prays. Despite the challenges that came her way, despite the the obstacles that presented themselves, despite the refusals, despite what at one point appears to to be a no-win situation, she doesn't give up. She doesn't quit. She doesn't lay down and roll over. She persists. She perseveres. She stays On course, she makes her petition again, 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 and again, and it was eventually answered. 
It's a vivid picture, as it was intended to be. And of course, the question for us is, does this describe our persistence in our praying? Well, that brings us to the third point, which is the character of God. In verse 6, and the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? While Jesus wants his disciples and he wants us to compare our praying with her persistence, he also wants us to contrast the character of the judge and the character of God. Because they're not the same. Because when the unrighteous judge is heard, when we hear him, when we see him and we understand who he was and, and we hear the things that he was doing and what he was thinking, we understand that his character is diametrically opposed to the character of God. The judge was cruel and unrighteous and unjust and arbitrary and capricious and self-serving. God, on the other hand, is holy and righteous and good and just. He's loving, caring, compassionate. He's wise and benevolent. And Jesus is stressing again that it's the character of God being so different, right? It's so different from the judge, but it's the character of God that serves as the basis for our motivation to pray. Because of who He is, He will listen. Because of who He is, He will respond at the appropriate time and in the appropriate way. Because of who He is, we know He is always doing what is good and right. Because of who He is, He can be trusted. Because of who He is, we should not lose heart or become discouraged. And let's, let's not overlook the word Jesus chose to use in the middle of verse 7 to describe His disciples. Those who can expect God's justice and those who cry out day and night, he refers to as God's elect. Right? Those who are his chosen ones. Those who are on whom he has set his love. Those who or whom he has redeemed and forgiven and adopted. This holy and righteous and good and just and loving and caring and compassionate and wise and benevolent God will take care of the needs of those He has set apart as His own and who look to Christ in faith. And we need to be clear, brothers and sisters, our persistence is not a means by which we bow, browbeat God into doing something He doesn't want to do. And our praying is, or and our persistence in praying is not a means by, we, by which we manipulate God into doing something He might not otherwise do. 
Our persistence is an act of faith. It's a fruit of faith. Because unlike the widow who persisted because the judge did not listen, you and I persist exactly because God is a God who does listen. He hears us. He is listening to our prayers because we've been called according to His purpose. And when we get discouraged and when we lose heart, our first prayer should actually be for persistence. We ask Him for persistence because He has promised to supply all our needs according to His riches and glory. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We look to Him for that persistence. He's called us to persist in prayer. So who better to go to to ask for persistence in prayer than the one who's called us? He Himself will graciously enable us to persist in prayer. Now, while the purpose of the parable was and is to encourage us and and challenge us to persist in prayer, the context of the parable we need to take into consideration. It's very, very important for us because we need to understand the type of prayer to which he calls us to persist in. If we remove the parable from its surrounding context, then it would be possible to misuse what Jesus has said and is encouraging us to do. Philip Ryken puts it this way. Persisting in prayer means coming to God with our own personal requests, spending time each day alone with God in prayer. We need God's provision for our daily needs. We need God's protection, His peace, and His power. Persisting in prayer also means saving time for prayer in small group Bible studies, participating in the corporate prayer life of the church. It means persevering in prayer even when we don't feel very much like praying at all. But, he says, the most direct application of this parable, however, is to pray for God's kingdom to come and for the people of God to get the justice they are waiting so long to receive. Ralph Davis puts it a little more direct. He says, we must remember the kind of prayer Jesus speaks of, not prayer for a new job, for your house to sell, or for your kid to get accepted into a certain university, but for God to give justice to His weary and beaten down people. You see, Jesus' concern here in Luke 18 is persistence in prayer on behalf of believers while they're in the midst of the already and not yet that we talked about last week. You'll remember Kim Riddlebarger's quote. He said this, The advance of God's kingdom, while inevitable, does not guarantee that evil in society will abate as the kingdom of God advances. In fact, the presence of God, God's kingdom guarantees conflict with the forces of evil. The Christian hope is that one day the kingdom will be consummated when all evil will be crushed by the Lamb, but not before. So we live in the midst of a time when God's people experience persecution, pain, and suffering. 
Again, in the words of Ralph Davis, God's people live in a world in which they are assailed, assaulted, and sometimes annihilated. Therefore, we're not to lose heart or to grow weary and give up. Rather, we're to persist in prayer. We're to pray for God to fully and finally put all things right and bring the justice that He's promised to bring. We're to pray His kingdom come and His will be done. In verse 7, Jesus says, will God, not, will God not give justice to His elect who cry out to Him day and night even though He delays? And the answer is absolutely He will. Absolutely. To us it feels like a long delay. Much too long of a delay. But in God's economy in which one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as is one day, Jesus has only been gone for two days. It's like our last Friday. And He assures us in verse 8 that on that day when He comes, that justice will come. And that justice will be sure, sudden, and swift. And we're to persevere in the midst of the wait. We're to pray, come Lord Jesus. We're also to pray for our brothers and sisters around the world. Right around the globe, there. Believers in the Lord Jesus facing intimidation and discrimination and oppression and the violation of their basic human rights. We're to pray for those who are imprisoned or face the threat of imprisonment on a daily basis. We're to pray for those who are dealing with physical abuse and genocide. And we're to pray that God would protect them and deliver them and strengthen their faith. We're to pray that God would grant them and all the martyrs that have gone before them the justice that will only fully and finally be experienced when Christ Himself returns, when He comes back from the right hand of the Father to judge the quick and the dead. And we're also to pray for the lost. For why does Jesus delay? Why hasn't He returned? The answer is in verse 9 of 2 Peter 3. I just quoted verse 8. He says, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And as I said last week, when He returns, judgment is going to be definitive. There's not going to be any turning back. There's not going to be any last-minute decisions. But He delays for His elect. So the time to trust Jesus is now. Today is the day unto salvation. The time to persistently pray for the salvation of the lost is right now. 
And the question, brothers and sisters, in verse 8 should ring in our ears as it's been ringing in my ear all week. When the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on earth? I think a better translation is, will He find the faith or will He find this kind of faith when He returns? In other words, when He returns, will He find the faith that trusts in the promises of God, the kind of trust that leads to this persistent prayer? May he find that, may he find that faith here in our midst, within our body, in Christ's church, and may he find that in his church as a whole. Let's pray that that be so. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Gracious Father, by your spirit and grace, Would you enable us to receive the word with faith and love, lay it up in our hearts, and practice it in our lives? Would you water the hearts of those who have heard your word preached, and may the seeds sown in weakness be raised in power and show forth fruit of righteousness for your glory and for our good and for the sake of Christ and his church. I pray these things. Amen.